So, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and your people here and the opportunity to know you in a deep, real way through the scriptures, through your presence, your very real presence here with us. And I pray, Father, that you lead us into the truth, that you would shine the light of your word in our hearts by your spirit and convict us and lead us into living uh, Christ-centered, gospel-centered relationships. We pray that we would have healthy relationships, that we would not bring toxins to our relationships, that we wouldn't be trapped in toxic relationships, but that we would bring health and life and love and grace to every relationship that we have, Father. And would you bring healing today as we talk about this in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are in a series in the book of Galatians, and I have so enjoyed this series. I don't know about you guys, but this has been, for my wife and I both, we've talked about this several times. Uh, this has been a really rich study because the book of Galatians is so gospel-centered. Paul the Apostle is defending a gospel issue, several gospel issues within the book of Galatians. But the main one he's defending uh, at first is justification by faith, that we are made right through the grace of God, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by our works, not by our keeping of the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. But we're justified by faith. And then he goes into our sonship as sons and daughters. He talks about our identity and our inheritance and, and us now having the Holy Spirit. And, and last week we, we, we looked at uh, the way of the Spirit, living a life following the step in step with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and each of these uh, sermons, uh, for, in my mind, have kind of built on one another. I think Paul is building his logic here. He does what he does in, in a lot of his letters is he'll give some theological arguments and truths and propositions, and then he'll give some practical applications, like this is how you walk it out. So the book of Romans, for an example, when, when, when Paul gets to Romans chapter 12, he has taken the readers deep theologically into the depths and the mysteries of God. Uh, and, the, and then he's like, you know, he exhorts Christians practically by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice. And he, and he gives instructions about relationships. And Paul does the same thing in the book of Ephesians. He gives practical outworking of what does it look like to live out the gospel. And in this section, starting in chapter 5, Paul is giving some practical outworkings of the gospel, of, of what this looks like on the ground. Like we want to know theology up here. We want to know the Bible up here and kind of the big ideas up here. But what does it look like down here on Monday morning when we're at work and our coworker irritates us? What does it look like when we're, when we leave church with our family and, and everybody's annoying you in the car because they're making too much noise or somebody does something you don't want to do or somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or whatever, whatever it is, uh, on the ground, day to day life, Walking with Jesus is more than just showing up for church on Sunday or Wednesday. It is a daily walk with Him. Amen? And so last week we looked at the way of the Spirit and we looked at how uh, the, the, the works of the flesh are destructive to relationships. 
and how the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit is desirable. That is the life that we all want. Is it not? Is it not what we want for ourselves, for our spouses? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't this world be so great if everybody was like that? And nobody was filled with the works of the flesh in their lives? The world would be a much better place. That's heaven, by the way. Look forward to it. And bring it here as much as you can while you're here. Okay? Um, but Paul continues this, uh, this theme here, building upon what he just said in this section on the, the following the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh contrast. Um, and by the way, the, the chapter divisions are not necessarily inspired by God. Uh, those were added later. Sometimes they're not as helpful for us in our minds, you know, where the chapter divisions are. Uh, because they weren't originally in there. Uh, it is helpful for us to know to turn to chapter 6 of Galatians when we're looking for it in our Bibles and have verses on it. Um, but sometimes they do us a disservice when we compartmentalize uh, certain sections. So I think verse 26 goes with um, the, the connected verses there. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I'm sorry. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going today from this text is that gospel-centered relationships are marked by love and service, not rivalry and selfishness. Gospel-centered, or you could say Christ-centered. Gospel-centered relationships are marked by love and service, not rivalry and selfishness. Let's first look at verse 26 and let's look at how Paul tells us that we shouldn't do relationships. Actually, we'll go back to verse 15, because in between uh, kind of bookends, if you will, around the works of the flesh and the, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul makes these two statements about relationships. And these are what, these are what uh, relationships look like that are lacking gospel centrality, centrality. These are what relationships look like that are lacking the grace of Jesus. Uh, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out. That you are not consumed by one another. 
So this is how we shouldn't do relationships. Don't bite and devour one another. And I think this is very simple and we all know this. But just like a dog, when, when, when the, you know, a dog gets its will crossed and you're getting messing with his food or, you know, you're, you know, do, you're doing something that the dog doesn't like, the dog will growl and bark, right? And we, Paul is exhorting us not to be like that. We're sheep, right? Not dogs, not wolves. <laughs> we shouldn't bite. We shouldn't bite and devour one another. So Paul warns, like, be careful. This is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to be divided and he wants you to attack one another through your pride, your judgment, your criticism, your selfishness, your conceit. And he wants you to devour one another. That is a strategy of war. Get a country against itself. Get it to fight against each other to destroy. And it's effective. It's an effective strategy of the enemy. And we must not let the enemy Turn us against one another. We are in one family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we should fight for each other, not with each other. We should strive together for the sake of the gospel, not strive with each other. And so this is what relationships that lack the gospel look like. Let us not become, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So don't be conceited, Paul says. Don't be conceited. And then here's what it looks like to be conceited. Don't provoke one another. When you provoke someone, that's, that's, that's flowing out of a conceited life. Don't envy one another. When you envy somebody else, that's flowing out of a conceited life and a heart. So the King James, I said, I think says, um, don't be uh, vainglorious. Or, yeah, don't be vainglorious. I think that's the vain... So that's the idea for for conceit. Um, The idea is falsely proud. The idea is having this image of yourself that, that is not in touch with reality. It's the opposite of what Paul said in, in Romans 12.3 when he said, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to, but with sober judgment, each one uh, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so don't be conceited. And when we are conceited and we deal with relationships out of conceit, we have conceit operating in our life, we will provoke others. So this is coming, the provoking aspect is coming from a place of superiority. And it, and, and to provoke, it means to irritate or it means to challenge, like, come on. And you're doing it from a place of superiority. Okay? Envy, on the other hand, is coming from a place, it's conceit, but coming from a place of inferiority. Okay? Like you're up there and you got what I want and I don't like you for it. And so they're both conceited, vain glory, ungodly ways of living that are lacking gospel grace. And so Paul first shows us, what does it look like? How should we not do relationships? Okay, uh, here's some helpful commentary. I love this quote. I posted this on our Facebook page um, this week by John Stott. He says, Christian relationships are governed not by rivalry, but by service. The correct attitude to other people is not, I'm better than you and I'll prove it, nor... You're better than I, and I resent it, 
but you are a person of importance in your own right because God has made you in his own image and Christ died for you. And it is my joy and privilege to serve you. Amen? This is how we should do relationships. Gospel-centered relationships are marked by grace. Gospel-centered relationships are marked by grace. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, first of all, I want to point out um, the basis uh, for this exhortation is he says, Brothers. So, sisters, you're included in this. He starts off, you're in the family of God. So treat one another like you're in the same family of God. Just as Paul uh, earlier in in chapter 4 argued that the basis for our freedom is our identity as children of God. Here he's arguing the basis of our serving one another, helping one another, loving one another, being committed to one another in relationship is based on we're in the same family. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. This is what Christians do. This is real Christianity. And so he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So restoration and restoring somebody with gentleness are expressions of grace. Okay, when I think about this, I think about how Jesus dealt with Peter at the end of the Gospel of John. And Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus graciously restores him. He asks him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. All right? And, and, and so Jesus affirmed that he wasn't getting rid of Peter. He wasn't done with Peter. Peter wasn't past hope. He wasn't too far gone because he denied Jesus. Jesus was restoring him. And I also love at the end, he's like, uh, Jesus tells him he's going to die, how he's going to die. And then, and then Peter looks over to John and he's like, what about him? <laughs> What about him? This is my lot. What about him? And, and Jesus is like, hey, what's that, what's that matter? Like, you follow me. Right? And so don't worry about somebody else, your, your brother or sister's lot in life, what, what God is calling them to. You f- just focus on following Jesus. Don't envy a brother or sister because maybe they got it better. By the way, church history tells us that John ended up getting boiled in the island of Patmos. I don't know if, if Peter would have chose that, if he knew that was his lot. Uh, but he, he lived through that. Uh, church history tells us that Peter was hung upside down, uh, crucified. Anyways, that's a bunny trail. Uh, one theologian, Fung, says that walking in the Spirit will mean not only avoidance of mutual provocation, thank you, and envy, but also positively the rehabilitation of those who have lapsed into sin. Okay? Now, a conceited person is not in the right place to restore anybody. Because if you're full of conceit and you're full of yourself, you are going to do more damage than good when you try to help somebody. Instead of lifting the burden that they're carrying, you're going to end up possibly wounding them even more if you're full of yourself. If you're coming at them, with a place of superiority, 
thinking, oh, I'm better than you. I, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinner. <laughs> I fast twice a week and I tithe and I go to church and I'm, I'm doing great. You know, thank you that I'm not like this guy right here, this, this lady right here, right? Paul says, you who are spiritual, if you see somebody who's overtaken in sin, restore them. When we are walking in step with the Spirit, we will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. And we will be spiritual people. We will be, we will grow in maturity and we will be more freed up to forget about ourselves and think about other people that are broken, broken and hurting and encumbered with all kinds of cares. And we'll be more freed up to help lift their loads, to encourage them, to love on them, to bring healing to them. But the conceited aren't in a place to do that. The selfish, the fleshly Christian uh, aren't in places to, to restore spiritual or to restore people with a spirit of gentleness. Um, take note of that. So, so when you're walking with a brother or sister in community, by, by the way, one of our values here at City Church is loving community. We are committed to loving community. We have community groups. We do life together. We meet with one another, play dates and coffees and hangouts and women's connects and outreaches together. Men's retreat. Men sign up for the men's retreat coming up. We do life together. We are about loving community. We're committed to that, being real and genuine and honest, knowing, knowing and being known in those relationships, forgiven, forgiving and being forgiven in those relationships. Receiving grace and giving grace in those relationships. We're committed to that here at City Church. But be gentle. So Paul gives instructions. Who, first of all, should restore somebody who's fallen and broken and needs some help? Uh, somebody who's spiritual enough, that freed up enough, mature enough, uh, who can approach them with a spirit of gentleness. Uh, and this, And that's the how. What we should do is we should restore them. Seek restoration, not condemnation for the sinning brother. Paul teaches, the Bible teaches that we should exercise church discipline. And that the goal of church discipline, when a, when a person is habitually in sin and they're unrepentant about it, the goal is not condemnation, it's not excommunication, the goal is restoration and healing, to see that person come back to a place of health for their sake, for their family's sake, and for the for the name of Jesus' sake, so that God would be, be honored. And I just got to say, this is not easy to do, to walk with somebody who is overtaken and, and trespasses and sin, who has fallen uh, whether they're just whether they're a leader or whether they're just a, um, a brother or sister that you're walking with, this is nothing. This is no easy thing to do, but this is what Christ calls us to do as His people. And He says to keep a watch on yourself as you're doing it. Don't approach that person with a place of superiority, like I thinking I would never do that. Paul says in First Corinthians ten. Verse 12, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We stand in the grace of God. And if you're like, I'll die for you, Jesus, like Peter, he'll let you fall flat on your face if you're leaning on your own strength and willpower to serve him. We need his grace. We stand in his grace. 
And as we're working with broken people who are struggling with sin, who are overtaken with a particular sin, we should be very careful that as we're trying to pull somebody up, we don't get pulled down with them. Keep a watch on yourself. Make sure you got a firm footing in the grace of God, lest you also be tempted. Uh, It's been said, and I love this phrase, except for the grace of God, there go I. That's the mentality we should have when it comes to restoring a brother or sister who's been overtaken by sin. We should have grace. I'm on my first point, and we have ten minutes left. Look at me. Okay, sorry, y'all. Gospel-centered relationships are marked by sacrifice. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Bear one another's burdens. So if I'm trying to carry a piece of furniture that weighs 300 pounds by myself, I need some help. Uh, Because I'm going to break my back if I'm trying to do that by myself. And if Kevin comes along... He can carry the other side and so he could take 150 pounds and I could take 150 pounds. And then if Andrew comes along, uh, then Andrew can take 100 pounds. Kevin can take 100 pounds. I can take 100 pounds. And then if Mike comes along, then everybody's carrying, testing my math here. Everybody's carrying a portion of that, right? Seven, seventy something pounds. Yeah. Uh, And so bear one another's burdens. You know, we are good at helping people when it's convenient for us, whether it's financially, whether it's service, whatever it is. We're good at helping people as long as it doesn't like affect us and our schedule and our pocketbook and our our comfort, our football game this afternoon, right? Yeah, I can help you move, but after the football game, right? You know, as long as it doesn't mess with our our life. But that's not the kind of service and sacrifice that Jesus is... He's, well, He's calling us to sacrifice. That's not really a sacrifice if you're only helping somebody when it's convenient. Like you see somebody and you, you just happen to have five bucks. They need five bucks. Oh, wow. Right here, There you go. I got five bucks. No problem. That's convenient, right? But then when you're, when you're struggling, when you got to make some changes, you got to give up Starbucks a few times... Uh, you know, to help somebody out, or you gotta give up something you wanna do to help somebody out. That's when it becomes a sacrifice. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus did for us. And when we get a hold of that, when we get a hold of what He's done for us, the great sacrifice that He's made for us, that will motivate us to wanna be like that towards others when we receive His great love for us. You know, Paul goes on and, and he, he, he says these words. Some of you guys may uh, also have kind of a hard time understanding some of this, like I've struggled with this a little bit. If, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I think what he's saying here is basically that, that if you think, if you think you're too high to get down and help somebody out, you don't have a sober evaluation of yourself. You don't see yourself soberly. If you think you're, you're to appear to, to stoop down and clean toilets or change diapers, eat with a homeless person or whatever. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, came down and He washed feet. And I don't know how much lower you can get than that. Maybe hanging on a cross half naked, looking like a failure. He humbled Himself to the point of death and death on the cross. And he goes on, he says, let each one test his own work and then he will have reason to boast in himself alone 
and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. I don't think that Paul's contradicting his own self here um, uh, when he's saying each one will have to bear his own load. I think he's referring to just being responsible with what God has called us to do when we stand before him on judgment day. Right? Just being faithful with what he has. God has given us a, a responsibility for ourselves to bear, but then there are times when our brothers and sisters and us are overtaken with burden and we need to come alongside one another, help one another out. We're committed to that here. Uh, again, John Stott says that human friendship in which we bear one another's burdens is a part of the purpose of God for his people. So it's an opportunity for us. To walk in the purposes of God when we see a brother or sister burden and we help them out. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but rather seek a Christian friend who will help to bear them with us. I love this. There's a quote, I think, by a counselor and he uh, works with people and um, he's gifted at helping people. And he said, you know, a, a lot of people that come to him uh, don't necessarily need a, a psychologist or a um, a counselor, what they need is just a good Christian friend to walk with them, to speak the gospel over them, to listen to them, to let them pour out their heart and share their burdens and, and help carry, walk with them and carry the load with them. Don't try to carry it yourself. If you're heavy laden and burdened and you're taking on a whole lot, you don't have to take it on yourself. First of all, Christ will, you can cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. But then there are brothers and sisters who want to walk with you, who want to encourage you. But it might take some humility and some vulnerability. And it might take some asking. Hey, can you help me out, guys? At least pray for me. Or if you know any leads, you know. So the other thing is that gospel-centered relationships are marked by generosity. Verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I think what Paul is referring to here is simply supporting preachers, pastors, teachers, kind of like a, um, a teacher-student relationship. And this shouldn't be seen as like a payment necessarily, but more of a fellowship, a sharing together. So the pastors, the teachers, they bring their gift, they bring good things, and they teach the Word of God. They feed the sheep with the Word of God. And then the, the sheep, in response... In fellowship, they give support financially, um, physically, whatever, whatever that, that, I mean, that can look in, in, in various ways, but I think Paul is talking about financial giving <clears throat> with, uh, with leaders. Paul said in, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 11, he said, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And then he goes on in verse 14. He says, In the same way the Lord has commanded that, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so here's just the way that God has set it up in the body of Christ that that there's this fellowship together, there's this partnership together for the sake of the gospel and everybody brings their gifts, everybody brings their resources and, and they contribute to the building up 
of the body, of building up of itself in love. They, they like the book of Acts. They, they, they bring what they can bring to the table, whether it's resources, financial resources, uh, spiritual gifts, uh, uh, skills, services, whatever it is. They bring it to the table for the building up of the body of Christ, for the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of God. But gospel-centered relationships are marked by generosity. See, when the gospel transforms your heart, you're going to be a generous person like the, the, the early church was in the book of Acts. They, they were living for something greater than themselves and greater than their resources and, and their earthly possessions. They were willing to give those things up for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and so Paul, in, in, in Galatians 6, uh, verse 6 here, he says, Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so there's this mutual sharing that is taking place here. And then he goes on in verse uh, 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's just the basic principle uh, that, that, that a child can understand, uh, is, is that, that whatever you sow, you're going to reap. The amount of how much you sow you're, it will be a, uh, affect how much you're going to reap. What kind of seed you sow will will affect what you reap. And and so many folks deceive themselves and think that maybe they can get get away with with sowing bad seed, sowing to the flesh. And here Paul says, "Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You're not going to fool fool God. You're not going to mock God and get away with it." You know, if if you do what's good, then and you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life. But if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap death. Verse nine and ten. He said, "Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up." So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So check this out. Gospel-centered relationships are not only marked by generosity, but they're marked by service. That is doing good to everyone. Remember, Jesus said in, in Matthew uh, 5, 16, he said, So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus himself, he went about doing good. That's what he did. And that's what Christians do. They do good, and that good should be done to everyone, but especially the household of faith. We should especially be good to and do good to our brothers and sisters who are in our family, in the family of God, Christian brothers and sisters. We should do good to them. And know this, those of you who've given yourself to serving others, loving others, you're going to reap if you don't give up. Don't grow weary in the good that you're doing. 
You know, sometimes we can get weary and get discouraged and, 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 and even question, you know, is it, what's, what use is this? Is this, is this labor in vain? And, and Paul says, no, your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is it not in vain? Because God rewards faithfulness. God re- rewards Faithful service. There is a resurrection and there are rewards that will come in this life and in the next life, in the, in the life to come. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep loving and serving others. That is the best way to live your life. That is the best way to spend your time while you are here. Don't give up. So, as we said, gospel relationships are marked by grace. There's this gentleness and restoration that occurs within relationships. Uh, Gospel relationships are marked by sacrifice, bearing one another's burdens. We're like Jesus' sacrifice to come and serve and to, to, to save and rescue. And He laid down His life as the ultimate perfect sacrifice for our sins, we are to uh, express love through our sacrifice for our brothers and sisters, like Jesus uh, did for us. Of course, our sacrifice is a bit different uh, in that it doesn't re, uh, atone for sins like Jesus's did. Uh, and then gospel relationships are marked by generosity, and gospel relationships are marked by service. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So don't give up. Uh, one theologian says this, one commentator says, it is easy for the servants of God to become discouraged. The opposition they meet is so constant and the good that they are trying to do is so hard to accomplish. So in closing here, let's look at a couple application points. See yourself and others through the lens of the gospel. See yourself and others through the lens of the gospel. Do you see yourself as a saint, as a child of God who's loved, uh, who's, who's found grace and mercy, who's been redeemed? And then see others like that, just like you needed grace, just like you needed to be forgiven and reconciled and restored and you needed somebody to help bear your burden when you couldn't bear it. Do the same for others. See others through the lens of the gospel, through grace. And then seek to treat others the way the Lord has treated you through the gospel. I mean, I I can't think of a better verse that describes a gospel-centered relationship than than Colossians 3. 20, uh, 3.13, where it says that, that if, if, if anyone has a complaint against one another, he must forgive as the Lord has forgiven him. As the Lord has forgiven you, forgive others. Christ has treated you with grace better than you deserve. So treat others better than they deserve. Treat them with grace, even when their attitude doesn't seem to merit 
blessing, favor, or grace. Give them grace. Give them love. Bless them. Your spouses, husbands, wives, treat your spouse better than they deserve. Forbear, forgive, be patient and forgiving towards them. Even when they get under your skin and when they're annoying and when they, when they're quirky and they do the things that they do, uh, forgive. And lastly, stay the course of doing good, knowing that you will reap a reward. We long to hear those words from our Lord and Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so let's close in prayer here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would lead us in to being more gospel-centered, that our relationships would be more gospel-centered here at City Church, God, that we would treat one another with grace, with, with gentleness, with kindness, with, with love, that we would uh, sacrifice in serving one another and helping bear one another's burdens, that we would seek to serve one another, that we would have the mindset of a servant, God, that, that we wouldn't come to church and we wouldn't come to community group. We wouldn't approach relationships with the mindset of what's in it for me. But God, that we would seek to meet needs, that we would seek to bless those around us, that we would seek to give into the relationship. And that would be a mutual giving, a mutual encouraging, a mutual building up of one another here at City Church. And God... May our relationships be marked by service. May we sacrifice, serve. May they be marked by generosity. God, may they be marked by grace. All for the glory of the name of Jesus. That that the outsiders, the non-believers would look on our love for one another. And our love for them. And that they would know that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that our love for one another would bear witness to that, and that it would help bring, um, help make the gospel look more attractive to the outside world. We ask these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.